Well, good morning, church. Yeah, there is some things uh, interesting around the office uh, with me being uh, Tony's father, especially one day when we were having a time of prayer, and Tony just said, hey, Dad, could you uh, close us in prayer? And everybody reacted. Like, uh, do we call him Pastor Daddy? Uh, you know, what do we do here? And so it's been fun. Well, listen, we welcome you here today. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. They have some Bibles that if you did not come with one, I just uh, invite you to raise your hand and they'll gladly give you one and then to take it home with you and, and use that. <clears throat> We're in a series called Jesus Life Reimagined. Uh, where we look at his words, we look at how he interacted with people, uh, we look at uh, just the, the whole issues of life from, from Jesus' perspective, and then how does that then carry over into our lives today? And uh, something that I have thought about uh, often is uh, how do we see God at work? It was easy for disciples to see Jesus working and uh, the things he would do, what he would say to people, how he would talk with, answer questions, uh, the miracles he did, and so they responded accordingly. But the question for us today, how do we see the activity of God around us? Because every place you look, there are definite visible examples of God being at work. I've asked the question to some people, uh, and often I've asked this question to many different groups of people, but I've just said, I'd like to hear from you, how do you see God at work? Uh, what are some evidences of God's activity around you? And I'm, I would like to think that we would just have these instant popcorn things being said, and uh, people just embracing, wow, God is really doing some awesome things, and uh, they would have much to share. But it's like sometimes when I ask that question, and I'm not talking about people who are not followers of Jesus. I'm talking about people who are, who've made decisions for Christ, but you ask that question, and it's like deer in headlights. They just, well, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. And if you ask that same question to people, the same group of people, many, many times, after a while, they start to react negatively. Uh, you're making us feel bad. Uh, you're, you're, you're not, uh, uh, I mean, yeah, God is working around us. We understand that. We agree with that. But it's they cannot see the visible activity of God around them. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, how's God work around that person seated next to you? Now, if you don't know that person, you have the excuse to say, I have no clue because I don't know them. But you probably are seated next to somebody who is. It could be a son or daughter. It could be a husband, wife. It could be a, a great friend. But you are seated next to somebody, and God is at work around their life. Do you realize that? Do you understand it? Can you identify those things that God is doing around them? I know that often what happens is the reason some people cannot respond to that is because they put in place too many filters that, that it filters out what God is doing, and they cannot see it. Sometimes we're just not looking for it. 
we're just going about life, living life, and uh, having fun with life. And so we fail to stop and realize what God is doing. But then there are times when something happens. It could be a miracle that took place around you. It could be that somebody that you've been praying for for a long time just up and asked you some questions, and you realize this is a God moment. This is something that is clearly I can identify that God is at work, and he's working right here in this situation. Sometimes in the midst of our troubled life, something happens, and we see God right in the midst of that activity and we realize that God is there for us and it starts to change how we are looking at things. I remember as a little boy when I was lying out in the yard one night looking up into the skies, I was overwhelmed. I was awed by what I saw because without the filtering of, of city lights and things like this, I had a panoramic view of just the awesomeness of God and all of his LED lights he put up there. And, um, and just, I wasn't a believer at that time, but there was just something about that view that just captured my attention. And I didn't want to go inside because there's just something about it that kept drawing me. I want more, I want more. I want to see what, how far can I see up there? How many stars can I see? And I'm just caught in that moment. And then as I continued to live there in Phillipsburg, Kansas, and I, I started to, I wasn't as captured by that moment as I once was because I wasn't looking up. Life's just happening. And so even though it's still there, I don't see it because my eyes aren't going up there. My eyes are ahead of me. I'm just thinking of my own personal life. And then I moved to Pennsylvania. I look up in the sky, oh, there's a star. Oh, there's one. Oh, there's a couple. And the reason why is not because God chose to make Pennsylvania different. It's because of all the city light that's there and light filters out around us, uh, you know, the beauty of the, that's out there. And it just, I, I, I started to just embrace that thought for a moment and realize that that's reason why we sometimes just don't see the activity of God around us is because there's that filtering that's going on and we're not able to see it. It's right there. But we don't see it. And so this passage, as we begin to look at it uh, in Luke chapter 11, it's page uh, 726 in the, the Bibles that you may have received but in Luke chapter 11, with what I just asked you is God's activity around us and are you looking for how God is at work and what happens if you, you're seeing something beautiful? I mean, let's, let's use this as an example. When was the last time? I want you to think about this for a minute. When was the last time that you were just captured by something you were seeing and you shared it to somebody else and they go, yeah, yeah. It's all right. Let's go. And they just didn't get it. They didn't see it like you saw it. So in Luke chapter 11, there's something that's starting to happen here. And it all begins in uh, uh, verse 14 
when after uh, Jesus is doing a, a, he's just cast out a demon uh, from a, a, someone who was deaf, and he gets a response. I mean, Jesus' teaching demands response. Even back then, people responded. There were just some people, as it says in this once in the beginning of verse 14, it, it, it just simply says, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute, and when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd, and so here's one group of people, they're amazed. They're captured by the miracle that they just saw. They're amazed with it. And we don't know whether how many of them then believed as a result of what they saw. But it was often the case with Jesus' miracles and his teaching was that many people responded by believing. Their faith took and embraced and and held on to the, the, the event that was taking place. This must be the Son of God. But look at verse 15. But some in the crowd said by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Other tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. So here's two other responses. One takes with that miracle of that demon being cast out, and there are just some who just said, he's doing that under the power of Satan. It's demonic. I would be like watching if you watched uh, America's Got Talent, Shin Lin, who uh, won the uh, championship division. He has this way of doing the sleight of hand with card tricks. And I know there were some people, even judges, who were wowed by what they saw. They, they, they go, man, this, this guy's amazing. I must admit, that there was a part of me that wanted to say, that's kind of demonic. Why'd that come? Where'd that come from? Why did I respond that way? Because I couldn't understand it. And so I start to think through, so what is legitimate, what's a, a legitimate response? What's a legitimate reason for why that happened? And then there were others in that same crowd, as we just read, in their response to Jesus was that they wanted more proof. So part of me that when I'm watching Shinlin do his thing and, and the responses, I was kind of like that third group as well. I thought, I'd like to see some more. And that's just the way people are. People responded to Jesus that way. Some took his teaching, his miracles, and simply said, I'm amazed by it, I'm awed by it, I, I want to do something, uh, I, I'll give my life over to him. Others are going to just reject, reject the truth. And others are going to just say, yeah, I need more proof. You need to keep talking. So in this text, of chapter 11, we're going to find Jesus responding to those who are responding to his teaching and trying to bring some clarification to what's going on and their response, how we should talk to them. And why I think this is important, because in our oikoses, you know, those 8 to 15 people that are in our relational world, when we take moments to share maybe a Jesus story with them, 
you're probably going to hear the, some of the same responses. But also, we, what we may fail to be realizing is how is God working in that relational world of mine? Can I see the student who's seated next to me in, in English class or, or history class? Can I see that God is really at work around them? And, and you know, what we do is we start to look at whether it's a student, it's some, another employee in the business where I'm at, it could be my own family, is that we start to look at, nah, they probably, God's not working around them, they're too bad. Or they're just not interested. God is pursuing a relationship with everybody. We've got to understand that. And God is loving and working and wooing and, and trying to draw that person to himself. And so when you see Jesus here bringing some teaching to this, he takes in verses 17 through 28, he speaks of the fact that uh, there was people in this crowd who's responding that it's demonic, and, and so he just simply addresses this thing about a, 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 about a house being divided. So why does he just slip that in? Is it really within the context of what chapter 11 is all about? And yes, it is. Because those who are thinking that this is demonic, you've got two different things happening here. Satan comes to steal, kill, destroy. That's his purpose. That's his goal, is to make life miserable for us. Jesus comes to restore, to heal, and to bring awareness to God's work around us. So you have two opposites, and if they both be in the same realm, then you've got a house divided. You can't have both happening. That would really look like a stupid fight, wouldn't it? You're healing somebody and knocking them out at the same time. Or you're, you know, you're bringing destruction to a person's life at the same time you're restoring it. It just doesn't work that way. And in verse 29 through 32, well, actually in, in verse 27 to 28, Here's another response, and it's a, it's a different kind of response that comes from the other three. But a woman says, blessed is your mother who's nursed you and, you know, helped you. And what does Jesus say? Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I have a great mom. Did he say that? No. He said, blessed are those who obey my words. So keeping in line with where he's going, how he's responding to those who are rejecting and pushing away from his teaching, his truth, and the activity of himself and God around them, he just said, blessed are those who obey my teaching, who obey my words. That's the ones who are blessed. Which the opposite side of that would be how unblessed <laughs> is someone who doesn't obey what I teach. It would be easy for us to look at the person next to us and say, now there's a good example of someone who's not blessed. 
because they're just not, they're oblivious to God's work. They're, they're, they're not responding to his teaching. But we fail to realize is the fact that you may be as unblessed as the person that you're pointing out because you're not responding to the things that God is teaching and how he's speaking to you, how he's at work around you. Then verses 29 through 32. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is, the, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Whereas Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Is that, again, just something that is spur-of-the-moment thought, or is there a flow, is there continuity in this chapter to why Jesus at this point teaches? And the answer to that is yes. Because in Jonah, when Jonah finally had spent his three days in the, in the belly of a big fish, he saw that, listen, I need to repent, and so he repented, and, and finally, after three days, he's regurgitated back up onto the beach. Can't imagine the smell that there must have been. But he goes to Nineveh and he preaches what God has called him to preach. And people responded. All of Nineveh repented. So they responded to the teaching of Jonah and they repented. And so when he, they're standing one day in judgment it, 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 and they're looking at all of the people who have disobeyed God by not following him. They will have a hard time because we repented when we heard what God was teaching through Jonah. Then there's the queen of the south. She heard about Solomon's great wisdom. And so she takes off and uh, loads up with all kinds of goodies. She topped, stopped by Target on her way. And grabbed up a bunch of stuff to take with her because she wants to pay Solomon for the questions that she's going to ask him. In a lot of ways, the queen of the south went expecting that her questions were going to be much harder than what Solomon could answer. And within that text, you find that she was amazed at the wisdom of Solomon as he responded to her questions. To the point she was awed. She was wowed. She's taken back. So what does Jesus mean by using this as an example? He's simply saying people responded to the teaching. And they responded properly. And so you who are hearing and are seeing what I'm doing and are not responding as this is God's teaching to you and that you need to do something with it, 
he brings out another example. And then we fall upon the text that we're here to look at this morning, verses 33 through 36. So up to this point, Jesus is making it clear that there are some who are going to respond and, and are, are going to respond accordingly. They're going to look at what God is doing and what he's teaching, and they're going to say, okay, I'm awed by it. I'm going to respond positively. Life change starts to take place. But then there are others who don't respect the teaching. They reject it. I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not going to respond to it. Then there's still others who are going to respond. They're going to struggle with what we are teaching, what Jesus is teaching, and they're going to want more proof. I must say that for the 18 years I prayed for my parents, the change in my parents came not as I kept telling them how bad they are and how they needed to repent, you know, turn or burn. You know, I was right in there sharing the gospel with them. I thought that's the way I was supposed to do it. And a good friend of mine just said, listen, Randy, why don't you start acting as if your parents are already followers of Jesus? And just share with them how you see God at work around your life. Big difference. And my parents began to respond. Why did they respond? Because I turned the light on. I helped them to begin to see what God was doing around them. And they were being caught by what they, they were hearing and what they were seeing. So Jesus takes and kind of brings why there is this problem with us responding to his teaching and these miracles, why some people reject it. And you may even be here this morning, and, and you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I, I'm not rejecting God. But just before you check that box, ask yourself this question. When was the last time I heard something I needed to, to change about my life and I didn't do it? You're caught. When I was out in Nebraska speaking at a conference of evangelical free church young people, these were all leaders of the state of Nebraska among, in their churches. And I asked this question. I said, how many of you have heard your pastor preach a sermon in the last month that you knew that changes needed to take place. You need to apply what you were hearing. And every hand went up. Then I asked this question. How many of you within the last month saw your parents make, uh, that you knew they needed to make changes in those areas? Saw your parents actually make changes? responding positively to what they were hearing. Do you know how many kids raised their hands? None. I don't say that to put guilt on us, but we are visible examples of teachings of Jesus. And do people, can they see Jesus in us? Because we're responding, because we're light. 
So we come to this passage, and he said, no one lights a lamp. This is beginning with verse 33. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. I'll stop there for a minute. What's he meaning by that? He's using the lamp that begins to exude light. And he's using it about his teaching. His teaching and the response to his teaching is not to be hidden. It's not to be put under a bowl. It's not to be put in a place where no one ever sees it. God hasn't come to trick us. God hasn't come to leave his teaching protected so that it doesn't get out. There's not the secret and the power of his teaching is held in check. It's met to shine. And it shines when we respond. People begin to see the impact. But we need to ask ourselves this question. Is my life a light to everybody else around me? Can they see that there's something in me that I live life differently? There was a student in the first, um, the first ministry we had in, uh, in a small town who his life became so transformed by, by Christ and that it was having such a huge effect on others in the school. And we started to notice that as we would walk on that campus that there were things that were happening in that school where there were definite evidences of God at work. The first basketball game of the season, we walk in, and guess what? The whole basketball team's at center court praying. This isn't a Christian school. Why would that happen? Because they weren't ashamed of the light. They were responding to its transformational work and, and the power of which can happen if we just listen to what Jesus has to say to us and we respond. Amen. That's all we got to do. Just respond. And then he goes on. And he said, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. So here is an example of the eye and the lamp, or the eye and light. The eye that you and I have is not light. It is only the entrance of that light that goes into your mind, that goes into your internal life, into your soul. It's not concealed. What goes, starts to go through that eye in gate produces something in the life of the person that that light is coming through. 
If the light is healthy, it's good. If its light is unhealthy, it's not good. But let me just say this to a minute about, about Jesus referring that his wise and powerful presence is not hidden nor should it be missed. I like what John eight twelve says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in what? Darkness. But will have the light of life. How's that so? It's because of what you've allowed into your life. Coming through the eye. What do you see? How do you embrace his teaching? John 1, 4 through 5, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the what? Darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. As hard as Satan fights to try to darken the light, Jesus' light overpowers. John 1, 9 through 11, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world. The, uh, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. It's that coming, you know, how do you see God at work? Well, ask that question to someone who is not walking with God is somebody who's an unbeliever, they're probably not going to recognize. He said he came into the world, but the world didn't recognize him. They came to that, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He's speaking. These Pharisees are standing there and saying, well, yeah, that, what he's teaching, what he just did, that's demonic. Every time Jesus turned around, those religious people we're finding ways to push it away from this is God to something that this is a heretic. Because they knew if they responded, it would require a change. And so when we see what Jesus is teaching today, he's made everything pretty clear about sin about grace, about salvation, about faith. He's not trying to cloud it over. He's giving us the teaching. He's telling us how to respond. But here's what happens. People start to negotiate. They negotiate whether they're going to respond to darkness or do they respond to light. And so often people choose to see life and meaning that is apart from him, but is all about themselves. So in verse 34, when Jesus talks about the eye to a lamp, and he's speaking of the eye as not the light, but the means by which light reaches your inward mind, he then speaks of healthy eye, unhealthy eye. What is that? A healthy eye is someone who sees the teachings of Jesus and identifies with his truth. They allow the light of Jesus to shine in and reach our soul and mind. They start to center their life around him. And they are aware of God's activity because they're looking for it. The unhealthy eye is someone who is not allowing the light of Jesus to shine in on them. They're rejecting Jesus and his teachings. And they're starting to focus on the things of this world and they're becoming very self-centered. As I was reading 
couple of weeks ago, psychologist tells us that we have a filtering system so that we can concentrate on the important stimuli that we receive. We ignore or we filter out all of the important stimuli. The question then that we need to ask ourselves is, what have we set as our filters? What are we filtering out? It's a great question. Because like there were filters here in Pennsylvania that are there that keeps us from seeing the panoramic view of the billions of stars that are up there. And that light is good because it's what's providing opportunities for us to see. But there's still a filter there. And so that is not getting all the way through to us. And so I think, what are some filters that we have put in to filter out what God is doing? I think one of them is a filter of circumstance. Somebody brought that up to me in the last service. Said, you know, I can see where my filter is a filter of circumstances, that how I view what I'm going through, I either interpret as this, this is good, this is God doing something great, or I interpret it as God doesn't love me. I wonder how people in Nebraska right now, we're not hearing a lot about this, but a third of the state of, of Nebraska is, is being impacted by the floods. Do you suppose if I was speaking in Nebraska today and talking about that God is always at work around us, do you think that the filter that they've got in front of them right now is that how could God be so good if our lives are being destroyed? We're losing everything. But I think there's another filter, uh, and I'm just going to call it the filter of truth. It's how we look at the truth that, that is in the Word of God and what, God, what Jesus is continuing to say to us. And uh, that filter of truth, I think, can look two different ways. Is that some of us look at truth as being absolute. We, we say that something that is true at all times and in all places, it's something that is always true no matter what the circumstances it is a fact that cannot be changed. And so we say truth is truth. But yet we live in a world today that doesn't believe that. It's more relative truth. Relative truth said it can be true for one person and not for another. Christianity can be true for you, but not for me. So we're having to engage a, a, a world that is embracing one of those two filters, but more Times and not, it's relative truth. I don't know if you've ever pulled a filter out of a furnace to change its filter. They tell you you need to do that quite a bit because of the things that the filter catches. I remember the time that I filled, pulled out the filter and it was had all this stuff stuck to the filter. It did its job, but that was a lot of stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, that's when I was looking back at that example. Some of us haven't changed our filters in a long time. And what's happening inside of you, inwardly, you might be surprised just how dirty it is. And it needs to change. And Jesus said the way to respond is to obey my teaching. You obey what I say, you're going to be blessed. Things are going to be different. Three takeaways. 
how can I take and do something with what Jesus is saying to us in this chapter? What's some takeaways that I could actually take with me today? The first one is this. We must be careful what resources and influences form our view of life. What are the resources, what are the influences that you've got in front of you that is your, is your filter that is being used to determine how you're going to respond to what Jesus is saying to us or to you? Because it could be that your filter is so dirty and it's filled with so much influence and so much other resources that are not of God that you can't see what God is doing around you. You have a cataract over your eye. And you're just not able to see it. So we've got to be careful. You know, I can easily resist a piece of pie. But if I sit there and look at it, my mind starts telling me how great that pie looks. And it starts to tell me, you need this piece of pie. And you all know what I'm talking about because you've talked yourself into doing something like that too because you tried to walk away, but it just became too enticing. I'm thinking, Tony's illustration about his mother-in-law's cake and knowing how committed he is to, you know, this Lent season, I'm going to withdraw from cake, from sweets. That is not easy. But then, to have that cake come home with him, <laughs> and then he's got to sit there and watch his family eat it when he knows how good it is. Well, you see, we got to be careful what kind of resources and what kind of things we allow to influence our life, or it's just going to be too tempting to just give in, right? The second takeaway, our private decisions will become visible. Our character and morals we model are often the product of our choices. In other words, you may think it doesn't affect anybody else. It's okay for you to watch something. Nobody else knows. Have you ever thought that the pathway you just opened up could affect your children in the future? Or affect your marriage? Or affect other students? Or affect other people at the workplace? I thought this week when you had the those people who were found out that it paid off to try to get their kids in a better school. They made that in private. Is it private now? No. And they're paying dearly for it. So they did it in private thinking nobody else is going to know, but guess what? It all came out in panoramic view. Now everybody knows. And Hallmark just lost an actress. Why? Because she thought it was worth paying a few extra bucks. No, I mean more than a few extra bucks. 
to get their kids in a good school. The choices you and I make in this life will have huge impacts on what happens in the rest of life. Finally, if you ignore your soul, you may live a life full of activity but become empty shells living hollow lives that are controlled more by darkness than light. This afternoon, there will be a lot of open houses. And you can be able to walk in, and especially in a model home, and they've tried to decorate it to show that there is, this is what a place could look like. Outwardly, we're kind of like that model home. We look nice, full of activity. You come to church, you serve, you're in life groups, you're ABFs, whatever it looks like. You're in a, you understand Oikos, those 8 to 15 people to build a relationship with. So you're doing all of that. But you fail to realize how cluttered the inside is. And how you need a cleaning. You need to change the filter. Let me just say this to you. It is way too easy for even a pastor to live with a, a live a life full of activity, but inside be in turmoil. We cannot, 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 cannot realize it doesn't matter what's happening on the outside of how you look to everybody else. It's what's happening on the inside. Is God changing you? Is he transforming you? Are you responding to what he is trying to show you? Are you building your life upon his foundation of truth and asking God to change you? So as we close, let me ask us to bow our heads in prayer. Father, this morning... I know that there's people here this morning who responded by simply, wow, I need to do something. I, I got to change the filters. So I pray today, Lord, that you would help them to do that. But I also know there are people here today that responded to reject it. They're saying, nah, that's, I don't need to listen to this. I'm, my life's okay. And they don't realize how dirty their filter is. Then there's another group of people, Lord, who just say, yeah, I need to have a little bit more teaching on this. That's an excuse. Because you have demonstrated right before our very eyes, God, how much you love us, how you care about us. You've explained a process of how we can be renewed and restored. What salvation, what sin is, you know, what grace is, what faith is. It's, we've heard it but it's time to apply it. Let it wash over us. So thank you, Lord, for the things that we will do today, not just merely being a hearer, but to be a doer. In Jesus' name we pray.
from uh, Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Why not today ask God, just open my eyes, Lord, that I might see how you are at work. Why not spend time as even a family or as a group of friends and just ask this of your Christian friends and just ask each other, how do you see God at work? And just watch what begin to happen. What starts to develop as you acknowledge, as you look around, God's activity, his work. Grace and peace to you. Have a great week.